0: Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 39, the second part of verse 6, 6b to verse 12, and then we'll turn to the second letter of Timothy, where we'll read verses 20 to 26 of chapter 2. But let's first turn to Genesis 39, verse 6b to 12, where we read about Joseph in the house of Potiphar. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. We turn then to our text for this morning, 2 Timothy 2, from verse 20 to 26. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honourable use, some for dishonourable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, he will be a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So far the reading. Today's sermon is entitled Honourable Vessels, Useful to the Master. When Leonardo da Vinci was painting The Last Supper, he sought long in the churches of Rome for a model for Jesus, and at last he settled on Pietro Bondanelli. He was a noble young man and he was quite lovely in his appearance, in life and in features. And the painting progressed and after years, Jesus and 11 of his disciples had been portrayed. But da Vinci was still searching for a man whose face was hardened and distorted by sin. A man who he could use as a model for Judas Iscariot. Eventually, he found a beggar on the streets of Rome, and this beggar had a face so villainous that da Vinci shuddered when he looked at him. He hired that man to, to sit for him as he painted the face of Judas. When he was done and about to send this man on his way, he said, I've not yet found out your name. And the man answered, I am Pietro Bondinelli. I also sat for you as the model for Jesus Christ. The path that that young man, that young noble man had followed in life led him into a state of destitution, of despair and disgrace. Why am I telling you this story? It's because of the big contrast between the the honorable position that this chap had and the dishonorable one in which he found himself later. And it's that same sort of contrast that Paul paints for us in this part of his letter to to the young Timothy, the contrast between honourable and dishonourable vessels. And we'll get into that a bit later, but for the moment let's just keep that picture of, or that image of Pietro Bandinelli in our minds. Paul wrote both of his letters to Timothy to encourage, to challenge, to teach, and to train up this young pastor, and also to warn him about the dangers that he would face. And today we're looking at the last seven verses of this chapter two. This, this, and this remember, this is the last letter that we have of Paul, the last thing that we know of that he wrote before he was executed. He's writing to his young protege, and in, the, in this chapter 2, he does a number of things. In the first seven verses of the chapter, he challenges Timothy. And of course, he challenges us today as well. He challenges Timothy to pass on the gospel message through faithful kingdom ministry. And a few weeks ago, we saw in, in verses 8 to 13 that he encouraged Timothy to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ, to remember the unchained word of God, and to remember God's nature. And then in verses 14 to 19, just before our passage of today, Paul instructs this young preacher on how to handle the word of God properly, an instruction that is just as applicable to us today. That's the background against which our text is set. It was, of course, aimed primarily at Timothy. But scripture isn't just intended for an ancient audience. It most certainly remains relevant to us today. It remains relevant through all ages. The underlying principles are just as valid to us today as they were in ancient times. So when we come then to verses 20 to 26, we not only have to ask what Paul's take away message take home message for for Timothy was but we also have to ask ourselves how these verses apply to us today as we strive to live our lives in a way that is acceptable to God and as we do so we're going to focus on on three facets of this text in verses 20 to 21 on becoming honorable vessels on verses 20 verse 22 on being honorable vessels And 23 to 26, living as honorable vessels. Becoming honorable vessels, being honorable vessels, and living as honorable vessels. So we look first then at verses 20 to 21, which are about becoming honorable vessels. Now Paul starts off by painting a picture of some of the vessels found in a house. Now if you think about the vessels or containers in your house, you'll know that they are different, that they're used for different things. Some of you may have fancy dinner services or special containers for your spices. But then you'll also have some not-so-fancy containers, containers used for the disposing of garbage, for instance. You wouldn't want to use your fancy di- uh, casserole dishes, would you, for disposing your garbage? Just not the done thing, as it were. You wouldn't want to use your phone by in China to put out any other waste either. And it's that sort of image that that Paul is working with here as well. And the picture he's drawing is about a difference between noble and ignoble instruments, or honorable and dishonorable vessels in a large house. But, folks, he's not just talking about any old large house. For you see, this is Paul's speak for the church. When he talks about this large house, he's talking about the church. He's painting a picture of the makeup of a Christian community. Folks, even as people of God, we are sinners. We're still sinners. We are cracked vessels. we cracked pots, you might say. Not cracked pots. Cracked pots. Some of us are cracked pots, but um, you and I have both, all of us, have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. We are vessels or instruments through which our mighty God works. He uses us, cracked vessels as we might be, to reach other people. Through the work of Christ, our brokenness, our dirt has been washed away. But we are still in that process of sanctification. Only if the Holy Spirit works in us and guides us can this process of sanctification, of continued cleaning, take place. But sadly, sadly, even in the church, there are those who, through their actions, prove that they are not open to the Spirit's leading. And the idea that Paul is trying to get across here is that each believer, each person who has been saved by the blood of Christ, must make a conscious decision to serve and to keep serving their God every single day. Listen to what Jesus says. Listen to what Paul says. I'll get to what Jesus says in a minute. Paul says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. If anyone cleanses himself, that sounds like a bit like having to do works for salvation, doesn't it? But nothing can be further from the truth. Having been brought to faith by God, by the God who knows who is His, each and every believer has been set apart, set apart to be honorable vessels that are useful to the master. Just as Timothy is set apart to preach and to to teach, so every single believer is set apart for the task of proclaiming and making known the good news of the gospel. That's the call on your life, on my life, to make known the gospel of good news to others. When Paul talks here about cleaning ourselves, he's pointing back to that image of useful instruments, useful vessels being cleansed or being cleaned. Now, our sin has been taken care of. Do you agree? Our sin has been taken care of once and for all by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But we also need to die daily to sin. That means keeping on surrendering our lives to the Lord daily. In the words of Jesus, we must deny ourselves and daily take up our cross. This means, this means consciously, consciously keep serving the Lord in everything. And God's word tells us that he will give us the strength to do this. He will give us the strength to be honorable vessels that are useful to him. That's how we become honourable vessels, through Christ, through the salvation that we've been given in Christ, through the cleansing that we've had in Christ. And God will keep giving us that strength that we need to be honourable vessels that are useful to him. Now you may say, sure, well, that sounds about right, but how do we do this? How do we be? How do we act as honourable vessels? Verse 22 tells us that even honourable vessels need maintenance. They need to be kept in good shape. Now think back from, for a moment to the, those household items. After you, you've used a cup or if it's been in the cupboard for a while, you have to clean it, don't you? You have to take off the dust, shake off the dust a little bit. And in essence, that's what this part of this passage is about. How do we remain Christian? honorable vessels how do we as christians remain honorable vessels well paul isn't shy about spelling that out again in verse 22 he says so flee youthful passions pursue righteousness faith love and peace along with all those who call on the lord from a pure heart there are two commands in this verse two commands that work in tandem the first command is to flee the second is to pursue uh, writing about 200 years before the, the birth of Jesus, a Jewish scholar described fleeing from sin or what fleeing from sin should look like. He says, As from before a snake, flee from sin. For if you approach, it will bite you. Its teeth are lion's teeth, destroying people's lives. That's a fairly accurate description of, of, of fleeing from sin. Flee as from before a snake. For if you approach, it will bite you. And its teeth are like lion's teeth, destroying people's lives. Now sometimes, actually very often, this fleeing is explained as fleeing from sexual desires. But that doesn't do justice to the original language or even the context of this passage. Paul is talking more about fleeing from those things which are sometimes characteristic of youthful natures. Stubbornness, impatience, self-importance. Harshness, and when you come to teenagers, an argumentative nature. But that doesn't that describe all of us? Stay away from these things, Paul says, shun them. This young pastor says to shun them. That's the, the other meaning of this flee, to shun them. Stay away from them. Instead, pursue or wholeheartedly seek out righteousness, love, faith, and peace. And that instruction goes for us too. Flee and pursue. Flee and pursue. This is how we keep cleaning ourselves. This is how we remain honorable vessels. This is how we remain noble instruments. This is how we remain useful instruments, or instruments that are useful to the master. Have you given some thought about how you respond to others' questions or Perhaps to others' well-intentioned advice. Do you respond with impatience, with a sort of built-in negative mindset about the other person? Who is he or who is she to give me that advice or to say that to me? Do you respond with irritation rather than a, a receptive mindset? Flee from that. Are our responses to others' pastoral or physical needs characterized by selfishness? Or perhaps by brushing it off or hoping someone else will do it? When there's an appeal for clothing or meals or practical help, is your response, here I am, how can I help? Or perhaps, oh no, not again. Won't it ever end? Or do you perhaps have that ever so lovely character trait called stubbornness? You know that, that inability to accept that others might actually be right. Or that attitude of, yes, but, yes, but, clinging to your point of view no matter what. Flee from it, says scripture. Friends, these are things that can, that can shatter relationships. These are characteristics that splinter a church and drive deep wedges, such deep wedges in a congregation that it can never recover. And most importantly, most importantly, these are things that impact significantly on our ability to bring the gospel into other people's lives. This is what we must flee from. Flee from it. Just like good old Joseph fled from Potiphar's wife. Even if you have to leave your cloak behind, flee from these things. And flee towards righteousness. Pursue righteousness, love, peace, faith. Pursue them. Pursue conduct and actions that will glorify God. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ, even though you think that they might have faults even bigger than yours. Let me put it this way. Do not judge people because they sin differently from you. Love them. And let let that love be evident in what you are willing to do for them. Don't judge them because they sin differently from you. Paul also instructs Timothy to pursue peace. And that, that, my friend, is a command for each one of you, each one of us. Pursue peace. Beloved, can I ask you, are you at peace with your brother and sister this morning? Can you look up at the Lord now and say, Father, thank you that I can be at peace with so-and-so, that I can love him or her as you've told me to. Is your Christian love for your neighbour, yes, even your neighbour sitting next to you in church this morning, reflected in your actions? Are you fleeing from your passions? Are you pursuing love and peace and mercy? righteousness, faith. This is a choice that you can make. It's a choice that each one of us can make as we live our lives, our lives of Christian living, if you like, Christian loving. We can do it through the strength of the Holy Spirit. We will be enabled by the Holy Spirit to do that. In the strength of the Holy Spirit, we can remain honorable vessels ready for God's use. So what does this doing the work of an honourable vessel look like? We've touched on that already a bit, but in verses 23 to 26, we gain more insight into the why and the how of living like honourable vessels. Now, as I've made my way through the congregation over a number of years, I've noticed that some of you have got glass cabinets in which you display things like your fine bone china, your fancy Delft plates, or even a variety of teaspoons. And although those things are lovely and can be lovely. They are never used. Because if they're used they might get damaged right? That delicate pot. Those fine cups. That nice plate. It just sits there looking pretty. Instead of being useful. To all intents and purposes they are useless. In verse 23 to 26. Paul also works this, with this contrast between useful useful and useless. He reminds Timothy of how he is to act in a way that's useful to God and of course that applies to us too, although perhaps in different ways. The bottom line is that the servant of God cannot just sit in a glass cabinet looking pretty because as Paul tells the Ephesians we are God's workmanship created in Christ for what? For good works which God prepared beforehand and we should walk in them. God has in advance prepared work for us to do. He hasn't clothed us in Christ's righteousness, his glorious robes of righteousness, just so that we can look good on the outside. Each and every one of us is to work. We are to be useful instruments in the hands of the almighty God. Before we look in more detail at how we are to do this, let's just look at the why. Why is Timothy to do this this work or act in this particular way? And why are we to follow that example? Do this, Paul says, because God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Do this so that those who oppose you, those who attack you, those who dismiss you, that they may be granted repentance that they may be redeemed from the clutches of the evil one. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how amazing is that? Through the word that Timothy is to preach, through the way that you and I do things, in the way that you and I interact with others, someone may be brought to Christ. Yes, through our actions, through our words, guided by the Holy Spirit, someone can be saved from eternal damnation. Doesn't that give you goosebumps? Your actions, our actions, our words, informed by the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, may bring someone to Christ. People of God, that is the purpose of being honorable vessels and instruments ready for the Master's use. So, how is Timothy to do that? How are we to do this? Now, earlier in chapter 2, Paul encourages and warns Timothy to not get involved in theological word games or the arguments of false teachers and he touches on that here too now we're not going to go into details about that quarreling (coughs) instead we're going to focus on how Timothy is to deal with them. the first thing Paul says is to not be quarrelsome but kind don't be quarrelsome but be kind Now that sounds awfully much like what Jesus instructed us as well, doesn't it? When he spoke about turning the other cheek. And friends, again I must say this doesn't just apply to Timothy. That's the template for our lives too. We can put that command in another way. Don't be cheeky, but turn the other cheek. Don't be quarrelsome, be kind. And sure folks, we need to be firm. We need to stick to what the Bible teaches us. Sticking with biblical truth must always be the foundation of our interactions. And of course, to teach those biblical truths, we must know them. We must know what it is. And we must teach that truth with kindness, with gentleness. That's what Paul goes on to in verse 24 and 25. is to teach with gentleness and patience, which means that he must teach without resentment. Now you might be tempted to think, oh, at last that's something that I don't have to worry about because I'm not a pastor or a teacher like Timothy. But that's not the case for the same principle still applies to us. We may not share Timothy's role as a preacher of God's word, but people are taught about God by what we do, by what we say, by how we speak to them, by how we interact with them. I once read of a pastor who accepted a request to debate an atheist, and describing his plan for the debate, he said, I didn't come here to save souls, I came to destroy him. That's not quite the way. That's not quite the way that Paul describes the actions of an honorable vessel, is it? As we navigate the river of life, we will come across all sorts of opposition, all sorts of evil. But if we want to be honorable vessels that are of use to our God, Even then, even then we have to act with gentleness, with patience, without resentment. Only then can our words and deeds help shine the light of Christ into the world. And the purpose of that is that God might grant repentance to those who oppose his teaching. What a glorious opportunity and privilege that is for us. To be able to do that, to be used of God, Brothers and sisters, what is the message of these verses? The message is not that we should wash our plates and keep them clean. It's not that we shouldn't keep bone china cups in a glass cabinet. The message is not that we'll be saved by by doing hard work. No, the message of the text is that as people of God saved by a holy God, we must be useful instruments to the Master. It's the message that as people set apart by God... We can be more than shiny cups or plates in a glass cabinet. Shiny of the outside, but of no use to our master. It's the message that as saved people, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I can make the choice to be honourable, noble vessels through which our master's voice can be made heard. Vessels through which the gospel can be proclaimed. Vessels that can help grow God's kingdom. In the 1950s, Audrey Meyer wrote a song that has the following chorus. To be used of God, to sing, to speak, to pray. To be used of God, to show someone the way. Oh, how I long so much to feel the touch of his consuming fire. To be used of God is my desire. Beloved in Christ, may that be your and my heartfelt (laughs) desire as well. I say this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.